You'll notice I'm in, uh, we'll call them rose vestments this morning, um, not pink, rose. Um, this is the third Sunday of Advent, which we call Gaudete Sunday, uh, which means rejoice. Um, the third Sunday of Advent uh, has kind of a joyful theme, um, so you'll notice uh, a lot about rejoicing and joy, whereas most of Advent has a little bit of a um, kind of, a, a, I don't want to say dark, but, but somber tone as we look forward to the return of Christ and the judgment and those sorts of things. Um, we have sort of, a, in, in a way, like a liturgical uh, a respite provided to us uh, this Sunday as we uh, remember the, the joy of hope in Christ's return, as well as these other themes that we've been looking at throughout Advent. So that's why we're uh, switching colors all of a sudden. Um, so what I want to do first is, is start out with a quick recap of last week. If you weren't here last week and didn't hear the sermon from last week, don't worry. You're still, this, this, this sermon's still going to make sense, I hope. Um, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one because uh, these, these two are related. And uh, we're actually, uh, our, the text that we're going to be looking at this morning is our epistle text from last week and the collect that we prayed last week. So um, we're, we're drawing from last week because we had more last week than we could cover last week. So we're covering some of it this week as well. Um, last week, uh, we talked a little bit about this theme of hope. Um, we talked about earthly hopes. Um, and, and we talked about how uh, so often our, our, our hope, our expectation of the future, our hope is set on uh, earthly things. And, and ultimately, that's a little bit like swimming from one uh, plank of wood in a shipwreck to another. That, uh, you know, the, there are these things that don't last. They don't support us for long. The, you know, whatever it is we're looking forward to, whether it's in a few weeks or a few months or a few years, you know, eventually it happens. Whether it lives up to our expectations or not, sooner or later it passes into the past. And then what are we looking forward to? What hope do we have? So often we go from one earthly hope to the next. Um, and ultimately where that leads us is to a place of discouragement or despair. Um, and so in that context, we looked at Romans fifteen eleven, where Paul says, whatever was written in former days, speaking of the scriptures, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So for Paul, the scriptures are for us a source of hope. Um, and, and last week we looked at why that's the case, why the scriptures are a source of hope for us. The collect that we read last week, and the collect is that, that prayer that we use to kick off the readings each Sunday. Um, it's, it's an interpretation of this verse. It's Thomas Cranmer's interpretation of this verse from Romans 15:11. Uh, it, it said, "Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning." Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. We'll talk about that list in a moment. That by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's a lot there, a lot to unpack, and a lot that's being drawn from that verse that we read last Sunday in Romans 15. Um, ultimately, what both the passage and the prayer were pointing us towards is this fact that while earthly hopes sooner or later fail and leave us in this place of discouragement or what I would consider discouragement in its terminal stages, what we call despair. Um, while earthly hopes fail sooner or later, the scriptures lead us to this unsinkable hope, not because they describe the future for us in detail, which they don't, um, but because they introduce us to the God who holds the future in his powerful and gracious hand. So they introduce us to a God who is in charge of the future that's an eternal hope. That's an everlasting hope. And that's what Paul says, what our prayer last week says, we can draw from the scriptures. 
So that's my summary of last week. Last week we looked at this question of why the scriptures are a source of hope for us. They're a source of hope because the God of hope is the one who superintended their writing, who delivers them to us, who has uh, words for us in them. Uh, so that as we read them, we're not just reading the historical account of something that happened thousands of years ago. We're reading God's word to us today. Something that God wants us to hear today. Something for us to hear now. So we looked at why the scriptures are a source of hope for us. This week, we're continuing that, that thought to what I think is the next logical step. Okay, so if the scriptures are a source of hope for us, how can the scriptures be a source of hope for us? How can we draw hope from the scriptures? I'm a, a, a big idea person. I mean, you've, you've been hearing me preach for some time. You, you know that I, I like big ideas. I like kind of these, these broad, sweeping ideas that affect every area of life. Um, but sometimes if you don't take those ideas and apply them in very practical ways, then you're kind of missing what the idea is about in the first place. So today we're just going to get very, very practical. Um, and that's, that's why I would encourage you, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, to go back to it, because that's really the foundation um, of, of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but, uh, but today we want to get to this very practical question of how do we receive the scriptures such that they provide us with hope? Um, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, food. Um, you, you can look at a picture of food. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're driving on the interstate, you'll see pictures of McDonald's french fries kind of leaping out of the box in this amazing, like whoever takes pictures of fries, like that's a really uh, valuable skill. You know, I don't know how they catch the french fries such that they're just like um, exploding out of the container looking like perfectly crisp. And, um, but, but you get no nourishment from looking at that sign. Or at least I don't. Um, you get no nourishment. Now, you know, we'll debate later whether you get much nourishment from actually eating the French fries, but um, we won't debate that today. Um, but but you, don't, you don't get any nourishment from looking at it, right? It's, it's intended to be eaten. It's intended to be consumed. So the question is, um, how can we consume the scriptures? How can we receive the scriptures in such a way that we receive hope from them, that we draw nourishment from them, that they nourish us? Right? We can look at the scriptures all day long. And the question is, how do we receive them? How do we get them into us? That's, that's the question we're asking. Does, does that question make sense? Um, many of us have a Bible on our shelf. Um, the question is, how do we get that into ourselves? Um, and it's an important question because I think we've, uh, because of the Bible being a printed resource, because of the way we approach books, uh, I think we've become accustomed to thinking about the Bible not as God speaking to us, not as God's uh, word, but as God's writings, in a sense. So as, as words on a page. Um, David says, I have hidden your word in my heart. He says that in the Psalms. And we've mostly hidden it on our bookshelves. I mean, the, the, the fact is we, uh, we, we tend to think of the Bible as a published book. It's a thing we put on the shelf. It's a reference book for many of us. Yeah, we, we keep it on the shelf. Maybe we keep many versions of it on the shelf. Um, but it's, it's there in case we want to look something up. Um, that's not how we read the things that are most important to us. The things that are most precious to us. You know, um, I can remember a, a time when I was working uh, a construction job in the Delta in Arkansas. A place called Stuttgart, which is known for its rice and its ducks. Um, and not much else. Um, so I was doing 50 hours of construction work a week here in this uh, miserable place. And uh, my wife, uh, who at the time uh, I had 
was just about to become engaged to, so that was the summer I proposed to her, which is part of why I was working this 50-hour-a-week job to save up money anyway. Um, so all of that aside, she was away. She, is, uh, she, you know, she was uh, spending, she spent a couple of weeks, actually I think three weeks or so, um, in India on a mission trip, and then she had done some work at a camp that summer. So she was, she was far away. Um, and when she was in India, she was, you know, I didn't get much contact from her. Um, and so every bit of contact I did receive, how do you think I read it? Do you think I, I put it on the shelf and went, okay, if I need to reference something, you know, later if she says, I said this in a text to you, then I can pull it out and I can go, oh yeah, there it is. It, that's not at all how I treat it. I mean, every, every word she wrote to me, I poured over. Every word, every phrase, every sentence. And I didn't just read the words themselves. I mean, I was looking for, you know, what is she saying between the words? What does she mean by these things? That, you know, that's, that's what we do when we're smitten, right? We, we pour over every love letter that we can, and, and we pour over it with such an intensity, such a passion, such an interest, um, because we recognize that it's a communication of love. It's rooted in love, and so we read it for that relationship. We read it to establish that uh, depth of, of communication and relationship. We don't just read it as a reference. There are different ways of reading. Um, that's uh, the difference, I think, between uh, having the Bible as a book, which even Adolf Hitler had. We can think about that. Adolf Hitler had a Bible on his bookshelf. Uh, it's a difference between having the Bible as a book and reading the Bible as a communication of love between God and humanity. The difference between treating it as a reference book and treating it as a source of life, of nourishment, of hope, and encouragement. That's the question. Is how, do we, how do we read the scriptures in such a way that they uh, don't just become hidden on our shelves, but become hidden in our hearts? Cranmer uh, sets out for us, I think, a, a very clear, very practical way to do just that. Um, he's drawing from the scriptures themselves, and we could talk about sort of how each of these concepts is presented to us in the scriptures. He's drawing from the scriptures the, um, themselves, but, uh, but he sets it forth in a way that's very practical and very clear. So that's what we're going to look at. These five ways that we can read the scriptures and be nourished by the scriptures, not just acknowledging them as a true reference book, um, but receiving them as uh, a communication that brings us life and nourishment. So these five... If uh, you need a refresher, hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Okay? Hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. So the first one, hear. This is, this is part of why I think it's important not just to view the scriptures as a book, but to view them as God's word. Because the fact is that the scriptures' first and, and primary place is not on my nightstand, but here in this community. Right? Uh, long before the printing press, do you think the average Christian had a Bible in his or her home? No. No, not even. I mean, you know, they, they were lucky if they had a Bible in their little small town chapel. I mean, um, the, there were not, uh, Bibles were not widely printed. I mean, they were hand copied line by line. 
Um, and and the, they were incredibly valuable for that reason. And so um, it, it wouldn't have been the case that as a uh, Christian in the second century, in the fifth century, in the eighth century, in the 12th century, in the 14th century, it wouldn't have been the case that you had access to the scriptures in printed form. Where would you then get the scriptures? In church. In church. Now, um, I'll talk about reading the scriptures in a moment. I, literacy is a great gift, and the printing press is a, a blessing to us. We'll talk in a moment about uh, the value of that. Um, but it's, I think it's important that we remember that the, the first place of the scriptures, the primary home of the scriptures, is here when we're gathered together. We hear them as a church, as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We hear them together. Um, the, the, you know, our, so often I think we have a, a picture of the, the great Christian saint as a man who's kind of alone, a man or a woman who's alone with his Bible in his closet, uh, right? And, and, and that's, that's not at all the, the primary image of a Christian saint. The Christian saint is the one who's here in the church, um, real, you know, dealing with this, this uh, complexity of relationship of brothers and sisters and working out the scriptures in that context. Um, so that, that when we put that first, to hear the scriptures, um, then I think it helps us to keep in mind that interpreting the scriptures is not just my job, it's our job. It's not just something that I do, it's something that we do together. Right? So um, you know, when I'm alone with my Bible and I read a verse and I think, oh, it must mean this, um, you know, that, that's subject to uh, the, the agreement of the whole church. And not even just this local church, but also the church around the world and the church throughout history. Reading the Bible, uh, hearing the Bible is something that we do together, right? So we hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Um, and the last thing I'll say about hearing is that um, as, you're, as you're listening to the readings, I would encourage you, however you listen best, and I know, you know, we all listen in different ways. Um, I was in, you know, in my classes in college and in seminary, I was the consummate doodler. That, that's how I listen best, it's just you know, doodling and kind of keeping my hands occupied so that my mind can kind of process what I was reading. Um, we print the, the words out in the bulletin so that if you want to follow along in your bulletin so that you can see the words while you're hearing them, you can do that. Um, if you want to just put down the bulletin and look at the reader and just, you know, uh, fully take that in. I mean, however it is that you listen best, my encouragement to you is that when we're, we're hearing the words of Scripture, do your best to actually hear them, just to, to set aside distracting thoughts and, and listen. Um, it's maybe not a skill that comes naturally to, to most of us these days, but it's a valuable skill simply to sit and listen and let God speak in that way. So first, to read. Um, I'm sorry, first to hear the scriptures, and secondly, to read the scriptures. Um, I mentioned that you know, the primary place of scripture, the first place of scripture may not be in a printed text. Um, but in you know, words read to the community of the church. Um, but that being said, literacy is a great blessing. I mean, Christians have not always had this gift. Um, for hundreds of years, for over a thousand years, um, Christians had a completed Bible, um, but were not able to simply sit and immerse themselves in it the way that we can. Um, you know, besides the question of whether they could read or not, whether those words were even available to them, um, they, they didn't have the gift that we have. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, and reading the Bible is just what it sounds like. I mean, it's just reading. Um, 
I think it's, it's often the case that because we take the Bible and we put verse numbers in there and uh, chapter numbers, which, by the way, are not you know, in the original text. In fact, uh, the original Greek script, uh, scriptures would not have even had spaces or punctuation in there. So, um, you know, when, when we read uh, the, the text of Scripture, it's got all this extra stuff. It's got footnotes. It's got cross references. It's got, you know, all of that, which, which is great for study. But study and reading are two different things, aren't they? Um, study and reading are two different things. Study is valuable, and some of what Cranmer advises us is related to this idea of studying. But first, he says, after hearing, simply to read. What does it mean to read? Sit down and read it. Right? I mean, like you would read a newspaper or a novel or a, a, a I don't know, whatever you read that you like to read. I, you know, that's, that's one of the problems is that we tend to take the scriptures and... and um, because we put these, all of this extra information in there, we tend to think that we have to be an academic to sort of get, uh, get out of it something valuable. But the scriptures are incredibly interesting. I mean, they're incredibly uh, uh, exciting. It's, it's easy to miss that, but they're full of like wars and conflicts and um, love stories and, and political intrigue and uh, history and, and myth and legend and parable and um, everything from... Uh, Fiction to nonfiction, everything in between. There's poems. Um, there's uh, an entire book of the, the Bible devoted to uh, a love poem. Um, there's the Proverbs that are these sort of pithy one-liners, you know. Um, there's the Psalms that are these, these beautiful musical compositions. Um, there's, it's, it's incredible. It's a book that spans three languages um, and thousands of years. Um, and comes to us in, in all of these different ways, these, these fascinating, beautiful stories and poems and, um, and histories. If, if we are able to approach them with that sense, uh, I think we'll find them to be a lot more interesting than uh, simply words on a page, simply a reference book, something to you know, pull verses out of when you need to argue with your neighbor. Um, they, they are intended to be not only heard, but also to, to be read, for us to pour over them and enjoy them. Um, now, again, I, I, I mentioned we're going to get practical this morning. The fact is, uh, some texts of Scripture make it hard to do that. Um, some translations, some ways that the Scripture is printed out. Um, you know, I mentioned kind of how the page gets cluttered up. Um, you know, it's, it's actually one of the biggest difference between an academic book and a popular level book, in other words, a, a book you'd like to read and a book you have to read, um, it, one of the biggest differences is, is how many footnotes there are on a page. In a popular book, you don't get footnotes. In an academic book, you might have half the page being footnotes. Um, so, so often the Bible is presented to us as an academic book. Um, if you really want to simply read the scriptures, um, I would suggest you invest in what's called a reader's version. Um, a reader's version of Scripture is uh, a, a version of the Scriptures that's laid out in a single column format instead of in two columns. Um, and it's, it's often laid out without the verse numbers, without the footnotes. It's intended to be simply read through the way you would read through a book. Um, the words on a page are much easier to read that way. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, if you want to simply read through portions of Scripture, I, I would encourage you to look at something like that. Um, and for that matter, whatever version of Scripture you're reading through, make sure it's one that you can understand. One of the problems is we, we try to read through the Scripture in, um, in a version that's just hard for us to decipher, and we end up getting uh, caught up. I, I, I'm firmly convinced that the, the best version of the Scriptures uh, for you 
is the one that you will actually read. The best version of the scriptures for you is the one that you'll actually read. Right? So it does you no good to have a version of the scriptures that you think is a great version of the scriptures, but is, is you know, not good for you to read. Um, so, you know, find a version of the scriptures you can read. Find a, I don't know, font size, type size, whatever. Um, but, uh, but simply read the scriptures. Um, so Kramer encourages us to hear them, encourages us to read them. And thirdly, and here's where we move a little bit from uh, reading to studying or towards kind of thinking about what we're reading. Um, he encourages us to mark the scriptures. Now, some of you are pros at doing that literally. You know, you, you read through the scriptures with a highlighter in one hand and a pen in the other. And, you know, you're, you're marking up things as you go. You're writing in the margins. I've never been that way, mostly because the thin paper, the onion skin style paper, just, you know, kind of, I, I think I write too hard for that. I end up tearing it up. But anyway, um, he, whether you do that sort of literally with, you know, pen and ink um, or do that figuratively, uh, the, the point is to mark the scriptures means to, to uh, take note of them, uh, to uh, focus on what they're saying, to look at what they're saying from different angles, um, to meditate on them, um, which doesn't need to be a scary word. It just means to take what it says and sort of roll it over in your mind a little bit, ruminate on it, go around and around on it until you kind of get a deeper sense of what it's saying. Um, it's a little bit like chewing a bite of food. I mean, if you think of, of what's happening when you're taking a bite of food, and I don't mean like McDonald's french fries because you're not going to get a whole lot of nuance there, as good as those are. Um, I mean like, you know, gourmet food. I mean, something, something someone's really worked hard to make for you and put in front of you with all of these different flavors. Um, when you take a bite of it, you, you chew, and as you're chewing, you're breaking it down. Um, you're noticing the different parts of it. You're noticing texture. You're noticing flavor. Um, you're noticing multiple flavors, you know, saltiness, sourness, sweetness, bitterness, um, umaminess, which is the fifth flavor, which is uh, that's the, what you get from like MSG or glutamates or whatever. Um, you know, you're noticing kind of all of those different flavors that are going into that bite. Um, and you're also making connections. So you're seeing kind of how these different flavors interact with each other. Um, you're, you're noticing kind of how the textures interact with each other. You know, the crunchiness of this item and the, the crispiness or softness or creaminess of this item. You're, uh, you're, in other words, you're noticing differences and making connections. You're drawing distinctions and making connections. That's exactly what we do when we're marking the scriptures. We, we take something that we've read, maybe a word or a few words or a passage or an image or an idea, and we're drawing connections and making distinctions. So to draw connections, you know, we read Christ says, I am the true vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. OK, what connections can we draw from that? You know, let's let's mull that over for a minute. What connections can we draw from that? Christ is the true vine. We can think about the Eucharist. We can think about the cup of salvation, the, the wine that we share in, which Paul tells us is a partaking in the blood of Christ. Um, we can think of the image of Israel as a vineyard that's presented to us throughout the Old Testament. The prophets speak of Israel as God's vineyard, where God labors um, to have the vines bear fruit. We can think about the images of God pruning um, plants, um, that his discipline prunes the plant so that it can bear better fruit. Um, and we think of just what it means to be a branch that's connected to a vine, to share the same life. Um, to, to grow from it and to continue growing. Um, so we, we notice those, uh, those connections. Um, and then 
Marking the scriptures is also a matter of making distinctions. So uh, we might read uh, Paul's words, uh, which say we're justified by faith alone, and James' words, which say uh, we're not justified by faith alone, but also by works. So we read those two verses and we go, are they talking about the same thing? Is that an outright contradiction or does Paul mean something a little bit different when he's talking about faith and when he's talking about works than what James means when he's talking about faith and works? So we notice connections, we make distinctions. That's what we do when we're marking the scriptures. And it's not only noticing connections within the scriptures themselves and making distinctions, but also noticing connections with the scriptures in my own life. And making distinctions between the scriptures in my own life. When I read the scriptures, when I read love your enemy, I have to make a connection there. I have to say, who am I called to love? Or maybe make a distinction and go, yeah, I have this enemy and I'm not loving that enemy. When I read uh, about Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah, I might think, who would my Isaac be? What would be that difficult thing for me to sacrifice? That, that thing which I feel I cannot do without, but which God is calling me to give to him and to place in his hands. So we hear the scriptures, we read them, we mark them. Fourthly, we learn the scriptures. We talked last week about this word learning, that learning doesn't just mean sort of knowing what the scriptures say, but it means understanding them. It means submitting to them. It means learning from them. Um, It means walking in the way of the scriptures until His word becomes, as the psalmist says, a light, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In other words, it doesn't just mean seeking information in the scriptures. It means seeking to be formed by the scriptures. Seeking wisdom and not just knowledge. means thinking about the scriptures throughout the day and seeking to live according to their guidance. So read, mark, learn. Here, read, mark, learn. And finally, inwardly digest the scriptures. Now, this may be one of the the strangest of them. You know, hearing, reading, marking, learning, those those all make sense. Inwardly digesting. That one's a little different. To inwardly digest the scriptures means that as we humbly hear and read and mark and learn the scriptures, they become a part of us. Their words become our words. Our story becomes their stories. And we begin to receive nourishment from them. This happens in many ways and usually in ways that are imperceptible to us. In the same way that digesting food is not something you're doing actively. You know, it's something that's going on in the background. You don't um, usually, uh, unless it's after Thanksgiving or something and you're lying on a recliner sort of intentionally digesting everything you've just eaten. Um, Otherwise, it it happens imperceptibly. It happens quietly. It happens in the background. Um, you're, You're drawing energy from what you've just eaten. You're drawing nourishment. It's not enough to chew. It's not enough to savor. It's not enough to swallow. You then have to gain energy, gain nourishment from everything you've received. What it means to inwardly digest the scriptures is to feed upon the scriptures. To receive them and be nourished by them. Since the scriptures are about Christ, since Christ is the one about whom all the scriptures are written, we talked about that last week, to feed upon the scriptures is to feed upon Christ spiritually, to become a part of his body. 
Jesus himself quoted a verse in Deuteronomy that says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Christ calls himself the word, calls himself the true bread which comes down from heaven to give life to the world. So to be a Christian who doesn't feast upon God's word is to be an anemic Christian. It's to be a malnourished Christian. It's to be a Christian who's uh, uh, wasting away, whose body is in starvation, whose soul is in starvation. We have to return again and again to the scriptures to be nourished. Sunday morning worship, daily prayer, personal devotions, small little bits of scripture that we think about throughout the day and carry with us throughout the day. All of these moments are for us nourishment and life and strength. We need it. In other words, it's not enough to know what the scriptures say. And some of us here have have great knowledge of what the scriptures say, but it's not enough to know what they say. We need to get into them and have them get into us. If the scriptures are going to take us who are uh, so often discouraged and desperate people with sinking earthly hopes and transform us into people of patient perseverance, whose everlasting hope opens up to this eternal life. If the scriptures are going to transform us in that way, it's not going to happen because we have God's words on our pages. It's going to happen because we've taken God's word into our heart through humility, through obedience, through hearing them, through reading them, marking them, learning them, submitting to them in our daily life and digesting them in our souls. That kind of transformation can only happen if God's word Is And this is, if you've ever wondered why we do this, this, and this before we read the gospel. If God's word is on our mind, on our lips, and in our hearts. If we are saturated with the word of God, that kind of transformation can happen. So what I would ask you to do this morning is just pray one more time with me. um, uh, as, As we pray this prayer that we prayed last week. Asking that God would graciously nourish us by the beauty and truth of his word. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.